Uh, thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> uh, as someone who was raised in England, I wish that all Americans be non-combatants in the 1770s. <laughs> so, um, uh, we have Cathy uh, uh, Nauf has uh, just arrived. She'll be speaking with us about uh, human trafficking shortly. But before she stands up to speak, I'd like to invite Dr. Nick Miller to come up. Dr. Miller is uh, the uh, Public Affairs and Religious Liberties Coordinator for the Lake Union and a Professor of History at the Seminary. And uh, Dr. Miller, you'll be giving us an update on what's happening on the U.S. Supreme Court. So, thank you. Thank you, Conrad. Well, good, uh, good afternoon. It's, uh, with all the snow coming down, uh, it's uh, a good time to be inside talking about religious liberty. So here we are. And I would like to share with you a few points about the Supreme Court. Probably the biggest event that's happened over the last year uh, was the confirmation of Judge Kavanaugh as the replacement justice for uh, Justice Kennedy. And the significance of this event was it, it wasn't uh, President Trump's first appointee, was it? It was the... Um, um, the uh, second appointment, but it was the replacement for Antoine Scalia that had come first, and it was one conservative for a conservative, so the balance on the court hadn't changed. Uh, whereas Justice Kennedy, who was appointed initially as a conservative, became much more the moderate vote on the court, some would say a liberal vote on the court, um, and so his replacement is of true significance because it means that the court rather dramatically shifts uh, rightward uh, by a single vote. And I will, I will talk about the significance of that to a couple of particular cases that are coming up, but I want to talk about the event itself for a moment. Uh, you may remember it went from a relatively heated confrontation to a full-blown, full-on, three-ring circus that lasted for several days and was deeply unfortunate uh, for Justice Kavanaugh, for uh, his accusers, and for the Supreme Court. And um, I think we have some very politically-minded people in Washington probably to blame for it, as uh, the accuser herself, in relation to the claim sexual harassment and assault, had brought her story forward somewhat earlier and various political decisions had been made or not made and, and who's, who's at fault, I'm not here to decide. But the upshot of it is, is that you have essentially a somewhat damaged Supreme Court justice in the eyes of much of the country. And the reason this is significant is that the Supreme Court itself has very little power. It doesn't have an army, it doesn't control the budget, it has merely its influence on the nation. And its legal decisions, they're binding insofar as it can persuade the Congress and the president to follow them. And famously, in centuries past, there have been presidents who've uh, chosen not to follow a decision or two of the Supreme Court. Fortunately, the court has had um, great respect in more recent decades, but especially beginning probably with the decision in early 2000s the Bush versus Gore decision, you may remember, where essentially the Supreme Court decided that election along a party-line vote on the court. The court has been increasingly seen as a, um, another political branch of our government. 
Now, why is that a problem? It's a problem because people who believe that there is something higher than pure power politics, who believe that there are larger overarching principles of justice, fairness, and equality, look to the court to protect these principles against the majoritarian institutions of the legislature and the White House. Religious minorities particularly often will rely on the perceived integrity and status that the court has. So when the court begins to lose that credibility, it loses much of its effectiveness in the nation in being able to stand up to uh, the other branches of government to hold them accountable. Our system of checks and balances by which our Republican form of government functions is weakened when the Supreme Court is weakened. And for those that care about that, uh, these latest developments, it was really a kind of train wreck uh, for the credibility of the Supreme Court moving forward. It will be seen by many, in the eyes of many, as just another partisan institution in Washington at a time when we're especially in need of robust checks and balances Uh, as our executive branch continues to test its powers in new and daring ways, at least in terms of rhetoric, if not in terms of action. Now, what about the substantive um, shift on the court? What does it mean that we've lost Justice Kennedy and we have Justice Kavanaugh? Well, it's a a two-edged sword in some ways. There will be some topics with which Adventists will be appreciative. And I mentioned one, uh, a case you followed last year, uh, the case of uh, Masterpiece Bakery out of Colorado, where we had the Christian baker not wanting to bake the uh, same-sex wedding cake. Uh, The state of Colorado was going to fine him, uh, force his employees to go to ideological training school. Um, But the Supreme Court said no, that there is a balance that's needed between LGBT rights and religious freedom, and they ruled for the baker. Now, you may have uh, heard that this case was fairly narrowly decided, and it's true, not necessarily on numbers. I believe it was a 6-3 to three vote, but the, the opinion was fairly um, unclear on how robust the religious freedom protection would be. The court cited particularly statements of prejudice and bias that the state officials had made in adjudicating the Baker's decision. And it's led many people to conclude if only those state officials had been polite in the manner in which they took away uh, the uh, Jack Phillips religious freedom, then everything would have been okay. Uh, there's really not much teeth to the decision, many people think. And in consequence of this, almost as soon as the decision came down, uh, the left-wing political community in Colorado set uh, Baker Phillips up for another case. They sent a um, a transgender individual in to ask for a cake, and no one's really ever heard of this before, so we think it was invented for Jack Phillips' case, a transgender transition celebration cake. And I understand you had a sermon on transgender issues today. So the uh, cake was something, again, that they figured that, uh, that Baker Phillips would not be willing to bake. And indeed, that was the case. He refused to do it. 
And so they brought him back before the Civil Rights Tribunal in Colorado and are suing him again. Now, he has some Christian, a Christian lawyer uh, law firm, and the law firm is actually going straight to federal court and launching a lawsuit to shut down the state court prosecution um, and not waiting for the result there. And there's been an initial success. The state of uh, Colorado tried to s dismiss this separate federal uh, court case, but the federal judge denied the dismissal and has authorized further hearings and discovery. So it may be that uh, the baker will get into the federal court system and be protected. And the fact of this new Supreme Court appointment, Judge Kavanaugh, would suggest that if and when the issue of religious freedom and LGBT rights gets back to the Supreme Court, that there will probably be a more robust decision uh, protecting religious freedom. And uh, most of us in the Adventist religious liberty community think this is a good thing. And in fact, I think as Adventists that both institutionally and our lawyers, we should have more interest and concern for this topic. Um, we ourselves believe uh, that we stand for an institution from Eden, right? The Sabbath. And we believe there will come a time when Sabbath-keeping will become unpopular and even unlawful, or will be required to, uh, to worship on another day and not worship on our day. This is all prophetic, and we believe it by faith. And yet there is another institution from Eden, and that is marriage. And if you read the spirit of prophecy, she equates these two, the, two, the twin institutions from Eden, and we should stand for them both. You know, for some reason, we seem much quieter on the issue of marriage than we do on Sabbath. And here we have the example of a Christian businessman who's standing for his belief about this institution from Eden is having his ability to buy and sell being threatened. Does that sound familiar at all? And yet here we sit feeling like we don't have a dog in the fight. Well, let me suggest to you that we very much do. And if we don't see what's at stake in this case, we are really not going to have much ground to stand on when Sabbath issues come down the line. So I think that as members and as a church, we should be more willing to step forward and protect the consciences of those like Jack Phillips and other Christian business persons who are having their livelihoods threatened for their willingness to stand and speak on this issue of marriage. Now, briefly, that's the good news. The more concerning news about the court, there's a, another case that has been granted cert, the Bladensburg Cross case, and it has to do with the Establishment Clause. Uh, where I used to live in the Maryland area, there is a, a cross that was erected shortly after World War I, 1925. It was put together by the American Legion as a tribute to the local men who died during World War I. It was raised by private funds um, and put up by the American Legion, a large cross with the symbol of the American Legion uh, in the face of the cross on both sides. It was owned privately until 1961 uh, when a state commission took the land over. A large highway had grown up around it, and I think for safety and aesthetic purposes, the state wanted to maintain it. And they've been maintaining it since that point. It's called the Peace Cross. And a few years ago, it was uh, challenged as being unconstitutional uh, under the First Amendment. 
as a promotion of a particular religious perspective, right? A cross is most strongly associated with the Christian tradition, and yet people are memorialized there that are Jews or Muslims or, or other religions. And uh, the question the court is facing then, given this history and given the present standing of, the, of this uh, monument, does it violate uh, the First Amendment? Now, it's not readily apparent on the face of it what the answer should necessarily be. Is a cross a primarily Christian monument? And probably we'd have to say yes. But can it take on a broader meaning? Uh, Has it taken on a broader meaning in history? Has it come just to stand for the idea of sacrifice? Um, And especially in the context of the World War I graves in Europe with crosses everywhere... Um, Is this, in fact, the message that's being communicated? And there are good, perhaps, historical arguments. The court has said that the context of a symbol needs to be taken into account and the history of a symbol. And given the context and history of this this symbol, a non-religious organization setting it up with private funds on private property many years ago um, without a particular... um, Uh, religious devotional uh, message connected with it, that given that history, this could be about sacrifice generically, the sacrifice of American soldiers of whatever denomination. But there are forces at work to use this case to much more radically change the First Amendment standard regarding the separation of church and state. So there's something called the Lemon Test, which in a nutshell says that there's three points to it, and it basically says a law, in order to comply with the Establishment Clause, must do three things. It must, its purpose must be that of primarily a secular um, purpose. Secondly, it must have primarily a secular effect. If it incidentally advances religion, that's okay. We have fire departments that would be willing to come and put out the fire if this church were to catch a blaze. But, and it, in a sense, the fire department could help protect and even advance religion. But it's such an incidental aspect of what they do that it doesn't violate the Establishment Clause. And then finally, the third part of the test is, does it create an excessive entanglement of church and state? So some Christian groups who would like to see more involvement and support between church and state are arguing that the first two prongs of this test should be done away with, that we should no longer ask if the government has a uh, purpose or effect of advancing or supporting religion, that it should be okay for the government to do that as long as it is not coercing people in some way to support religion, This was the test that Justice Kennedy articulated, actually. As long as the government isn't forcing you to do something, it can celebrate religion, uh, the religion of the majority. Now, if you look at our history, it would seem to be contrary to what many of our founding fathers believed. And um, Justice O'Connor, you may remember, was a conservative justice, but she spoke up strongly for something she called the endorsement test which does um, include elements of those two prongs. And she felt that the government should not act in a way as to cause any 
person to feel that they are a second-class citizen because of their religious status. And I think there's an important element to that test, that it's not just preventing the government from forcing you to do something against your religion. It's also a problem if the government is seen as a spokesperson for a majoritarian religious viewpoint that makes you feel like an outsider. Because this is the first step in society for there to be creating tiers of who's in and who's out for religious purposes. And that is often a precursor to the beginnings of more serious persecution. So this is a very important case to follow and uh, one that, um, that we will be uh, looking at closely. In closing, we're entering an era when the Supreme Court is more important than ever due to the pressures and stresses on our government and its institutions. We've had recent threats to invoke states of emergency to get around congressional action on funding our border security. I would put it to you that never has our republic been under such pressure in America any time since at least the Watergate era, possibly the World War II era, and we need a robust system of checks and balances that is operational. And as we pray for our president, as we're told to, we should also be praying for the other coordinate branches of government, including our Supreme Court justices. And with that, I will bid you a good afternoon. And after this program is over, we're having a program on Jesus and politics over at uh, Buller Hall at Andrews University, and I hope to see some of you there. Blessings to you. Uh, Thank you very much, Dr. Miller. And... um, It's uh, my privilege now to introduce uh, a presentation from Sister Kathy Knauf. We invite you to come forward, Sister Kathy. Uh, Kathy is the director of the Southwest Michigan Human uh, Trafficking Task Force, and um, she's uh, graciously agreed to come and speak with us today about the reality of human trafficking and um, how do we respond to it. Uh, So, um, Sister Kathy, when you give your presentation, we'll have time for a couple of questions from the floor as well. Okay, so thank you so much. Thank you. Good afternoon. I'm glad to see you all made it through the slippery kind of first snow kind of almost that we were having again. Um, One of the first things I want to do before I forget is to take your picture. We have social media like everybody else, and we like to show that people are actually learning about human trafficking and becoming more aware. So give me your best smiles. I'll take a few. It's beautiful in here. Thank you again so much for inviting me. So I do have a slide presentation, but before I get started, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a background about the Human Trafficking Task Force of Southwest Michigan. Um, And this March, we will have been around for seven years. Um, I often get asked, I'm the founder, and I often get asked, was I trafficked or sexually abused? And no, the answer is no. I learned about uh, human trafficking because I'm on the women's Michigan Women's Commission, and it's one of our um, initiatives, and I knew nothing about it. So as I learned about it, there was nobody on this side of the state doing anything. And then when I asked about it, they said, because nobody is, why don't you start something? It's one of those things like, yeah, why don't I do that? And you don't really know what you're getting into until you're so deep into it. But once I started learning about it and I had met some survivors, I thought, 
people really need to know about this. The first phone call that I received that came through was from Warren Dunes. The second one that came through was from St. Joe, Michigan. So I knew it was in our area, and people weren't being realistic about it. Again, that was almost seven years ago, and if you can put yourself back to seven years ago, if you would have heard the word human trafficking, you probably didn't know what it was about or you were misinformed of what it was about. So hopefully I will clear up some of those. There's still misconceptions about human trafficking, and we like to let people know what it is as well as what it is not. So, Oh, and one other thing, just to let you know, um, from the very beginning, the first person that joined our Human Trafficking Task Force was uh, Sheriff Paul Bailey, and then from there we had the prosecutor, who at the time was Art Cotter, and then Senator John Pro's Lakeland, several churches joined with uh, individual citizens, uh, Southwest Michigan College, Salvation Army. So we have a lot of really good, good strong people. Uh, Safe Home uh, is on there, too. So, And anybody who would ever like to join, please see me after this. Okay, I'm going to try and see if I get this right. Okay, so what is human trafficking? It is a form of modern-day slavery. There are more slaves now than there have ever been. The 13th Amendment abolished slavery, but it didn't. And so I often ask the question, how many of you here believe that you have contributed to modern-day slavery or human trafficking within the last 24 hours? You would be right. I won't ask you how, but you would be right. You're the only person in here who is correct, and I will show you how. Please stand if you are able, if in the last 24 hours you have had pineapple, you live in a stone or brick home, you're wearing gold or silver, you drank coffee or consumed chocolate or shrimp, or used a cell phone, or a computer, or a car or wore cotton. Look around and see who has human trafficking touched. You may sit down. Thank you. We don't know that we're contributing frequently to things such as that because there are two forms of human trafficking. There's sex trafficking and there's forced labor. And the parts that I was mentioning was from the forced labor. To give you an example, and you'll see a picture in a minute. Well, I'll just wait till that. I'll come back to the soccer ball in a minute. But we don't understand how deep the supply chains go and how much the forced labor is actually affecting our everyday life. We're not bad people. We want to do the right thing. But we cannot buy a a fair trade car, although Ford is getting really close to it um, because they are really monitoring their supply chain now. I think Mercedes-Benz is the other one. But um, anyhow... Sex trafficking is the opposite side of that, so they're the two forms, and we'll talk about both of those. But I just wanted to give you an idea of how much it does actually touch all of our lives. It has to do with controlling a person through force, fraud, or coercion. One of those three things has to take place for it to be considered human trafficking. Oftentimes you'll see in the paper that there was an instance, such as um, the Me Too instances, they, they came about, the women were uh, made their complaints, and then later 
they actually said human trafficking occurred. The reason they changed that to say it wasn't just sexual advances or whatever they were claiming in the original uh, complaint, they changed it to human trafficking because force or coercion occurred in what was going on with the sexual act. If, however, the person is under the age of 18, none of those three things have to occur. In fact, it doesn't matter if they do or don't occur. Under 18, they're automatically considered being trafficked. Human trafficking is the second largest and fastest growing criminal activity in the nation. It's really hard to understand that, but I'm going to try to explain. Um, Does anybody know what the number one criminal activity is in the nation? Drugs. Drugs is the number one criminal activity. If we pretend that this is a drug, a drug dealer had to obtain it in some manner. He either had to manufacture it or he had to purchase it. Either of those methods is very risky to him or her. Then he has to take this drug and he has to actually sell it to make any money from it. When he sells this, again, there is risk involved. The drug dealers are learning very quickly that if they have a person to sell, it's much easier, it's much safer, and they can make much more profit on it. They can take this drug and sell it one time, maybe make $50, maybe make 100 whatever the street value of the drug they're selling. They take a person, and they can sell that person, whether it's a girl, a boy, a child, a man, a woman, whatever, and they can sell that person approximately nine to ten times or more a day. In one day, turn around, sell that person again nine to ten times the next day. The next day, the next day, the next day. Through force, fraud, or coercion. That one person becomes very profitable for them, much more profitable than this one drug, and is less risky. So it is going to Uh, surpass drugs very soon if we can't stop human trafficking, which we we should be able to with enough people on the fight. They exploit everybody, anybody and everybody, but if you're vulnerable, and we'll go over the vulnerable populations in a minute, are going to be exploited at a, a much higher incidence. And anybody in this room could be, become vulnerable in a heartbeat. If you had a medical problem that occurred overnight, you were in a car accident, your house burned down, there was a flood last year in Berrien Springs that changed lives of many people the next that very day. Um, if you had a divorce that occurred, your parents died, there are so many reasons that you could become vulnerable in a heartbeat. And a trafficker recognizes that and they use it to their benefit. And they will groom you or whoever the vulnerable person is until they have you. It's, a, it's not about sex. It's about money and power. So here's what I was going to talk about before is the soccer ball. This young man here, he is an example of who makes most of the soccer balls in a around the world, actually. Most of the soccer balls come from the Middle East. Uh, Many of the parents actually exploit their own children to help make whatever it is, in this case a soccer ball, uh, to help, help bring in finances for the family. 
in the Middle East where the children are making these soccer balls. It's such an intricate little bit of sewing. Look at how many little, I don't know what you want to call those little sections on the ball. And they're doing that by hand. They start when they're like five or six years old. And by the time they're 12 or 14, they can't even feel their fingers. How many of you in here have ever been to a soccer game or participated or watched somebody you know go to a soccer game, even if it's been on TV? I would, I would say that 99% chance that one of those soccer balls were made from a child like this. We can purchase um, trade-free soccer balls at places like Bound for Freedom, but how many of us do? I never have yet, but I didn't know about it. My kids are older, but... I don't know whether I would or wouldn't have had I known at the time, but they, they are more expensive, but we need to change the culture of everybody and every, of how we purchase things, why we purchase things, and, the, and demand that who manufactures things don't let child labor be the, what's behind it. On the other side, where it's sex, the, the children never grow up wishing that they would be sex trafficked. Nobody ever said, I want to be beaten, I want to be forced, I want to be a slave, I want to be humiliated, I want to be branded, I don't want to be paid for what I do. Nobody ever said those kinds of things, and that's on the easy good side of what they might have said. It gets much darker than that. They're forced into it. So I'm not going to go down through this whole list. I'll give you just a second to look at some of the things. These are some of the places that you might see forms of of modern-day slavery. This has been figured out from Polaris Project, which is like the guru of all the trafficking information that comes throughout the United States. And they figured out there were 25, I think, different places that you could identify human trafficking, including around here where you might see them is from um, restaurants, we don't have massage parlors in, in Bering County, but if you go dr- drive down the expressway, like going towards Kalamazoo or Detroit, you will see signs that say like Oriental Spa or Happy Spa, and it will say uh, semi-truck parking or open till 1 a.m. A legitimate spa and massage parlor will not be open till 1 a.m., nor will it ha- advertise semi-truck parking. That is illicit sex being advertised right on our expressways, and now you'll notice it. Um, In the nail salons, that's another place that we often see um, human trafficking occurring. That, again, would be labor. You will see it on the end of an exit ramp when somebody's holding a sign, out of work, need money, or hungry. If I've rolled down my window before when I've been next to a McDonald's and I will say, I can get you a hamburger, but what do you think the response is? I'm not hungry right now. Just give me the money. I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't do that. They probably have a pimp sitting across the street watching them. One thing I know for sure about homeless people, what do they have with them when they're homeless? If they're on a corner, what do they have with them? They have their belongings. They are wearing them, or they have them in a cart, or they have them in a bag, or they have them right nearby. When you see the people with the signs at the end of the expressway, what do they have with them? A sign. Maybe a bottle of water, maybe a stool, maybe a cell phone. 
When it's a bad day like this, the weather turns worse, you will often see more of them out there because they're working on your sympathy, and they will get more money on a day like today. And their pimp will send them out there, their predator, their trafficker, whatever you want to call them. A homeless, a true homeless person, are they going to be out on a day like this? No. They are going to be in mire. They're going to be in a library. They are going to be in a university, a, a, a gas station, or at least under a viaduct. They know they have to stay warm and protected. So these are some signs that you can now start to pay attention to. If you have any questions along the way, you can feel free to ask me because you, I don't want you to forget them later. But anyhow, there's a whole list. If you want to ask me specifically how you would see them at any of these later, I'd be glad to answer them. Here's a quick difference in maps between 2015 and 2017. If you look, let me see if I can get this pointer right. If you look at Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, can you find it? No. There's so much trafficking going on, we can't even find our state. And that's because we are a border state. We border Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Canada, Ohio. And we're such a thoroughfare between Chicago and Toledo. Oh, my gosh, that's just like that is the big expressway going on this part of the country. That's where it's flowing. And so there's a lot of trafficking going on, and that's just the confirmed trafficking. So the new, um, the new numbers for 2018 should be coming out within the next month. So this is all we have to still work with. In 2017, Michigan was reported the sixth highest calls to the hotline. I'm telling you, that's a really great thing. I would not want to be, I think it's Wyoming, what had the least amount of phone calls to the hotline. Would you want to live in a state where no one sees it and no one calls? They're like, oh, it doesn't happen here. We don't have any human trafficking. That's not true. It happens everywhere. It happens in Mackinac Island, and it happens in Detroit. It happens in Bering Springs. It happens in St. Joe. It happens in Benton Harbor. It happens in Kalamazoo. It doesn't matter if it's little or big, and it happens in Wyoming. But they're not calling, and they don't see it, and they haven't learned about it. We have. And through things like this, presentations, people start to see it more, and they start to understand it more or suspect it more, and they call more, and that has really helped. Oh, I don't know if we can... I forgot to set this video up with you. Is there a way to get this video to play? Okay. When, I'll just talk for a minute while you can see if you can get this um, video. So we were the third task force to start in the state of Michigan. We started before Kalamazoo. We started before Grand Rapids. Um, we started before Lansing. And, but Kalamazoo did get a, a nice, sizable grant, and they made this video. It's a six-minute video, and I really think it's worth watching if we can get it to pull up. Um, there we go. Do you need to see the, do you need the lights turned down? take a seat. All right. Thank you so much for okay. coming in. I'm Mary, by the way. I'm Mary tonight. Tonight, nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you. Don't mind the giant microphone above your head. I'll try not to. 
There are three photos in front of you. If you could just pick one, it doesn't really matter which one it is, and show that one to us. All right. Could you describe her to us? She looks youthful. I feel like this is one of those situations where if I say he's 23, then he's actually going to be 16. <laughs> Hispanic, maybe not full, but part. Similar to me, actually. Well, I mean, she's young, so probably has a lot of things to look forward to. I would describe him as friendly. She looks, um, I don't know, happy. She doesn't look shy, but confident. Anything she puts her mind to, she could achieve. We actually have his story. If you could read that out loud to us. Okay, Marcus. I grew up really close to my parents. Adriana. I grew up with my brother and sister. Amy. I remember watching the Olympics on TV when I was five and being totally in awe of the sprinters. I was the middle child and easily the quietest. I felt like no one ever saw me or cared. Dad was too drunk to keep a job and he never even saw me unless I was in his way. Mom worked two jobs to make sure we had food for every meal, so she was never here to know when he would hit us. One day when I went to the mall, like I like to do to be out of the house, a man came up to me and told me I was beautiful and asked me on a date. On our first date, he drove me around in his car and said we could eat whatever I wanted. Every time we were together, he bought me something new. Tom really cared about me, and Tom really made me feel special. I was in love with him. After only going out for three weeks, Tom offered me a way out of my home, asked me to move in with him. So when he asked me to have sex with him, I did. He would put his hand over my face until I couldn't breathe. Tom had friends over pretty regularly, and I could tell that some of his friends were into me. So I kept my door locked and hoped that no one would bother me. After a few nights of crashing there, he said that I still owe him for letting me stay at his place. He said he had a friend who wanted to spend an hour with me. He told me I might have to do some stuff, but not to worry about it. It's not a big deal. When I didn't want to, he slapped me and said no one ever cared about me like he did. But I didn't know what else to do because I needed a place to stay. His friends forced themselves on me and took turns while he watched. One by one, they come down to the basement telling me how pretty I am. When they're on top of me, I just close my eyes and pretend I'm running. I'm exhausted and I don't know what to do. My name is Adriana, I'm 16 years old. My name is Marcus, I'm 14 years old. My name is Amy, I'm 12 years old. I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That was very different than what I thought. Especially because like being a girl and imagining like if that was me, like that's I don't even know, I can't even imagine what that would be like. She deserves to be a kid, just like what she is in this picture. It being so close to home is something that makes me want to jump out of this chair. I wouldn't think that Grand Rapids is a place where anything like this would ever happen. Because you don't want it to happen to anybody and you really don't want it to happen to people that live where you live. Thank you for sharing her story with us. I'd like to show you something if you wouldn't mind taking her picture and following me to the gym. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. 
I expected uh, something certainly a lot smaller. Bar graphs and numbers and, but this is, these are actual people. I don't know, in, in like my world, in my bubble or whatever, we don't talk about this. It's not something you think about. You know, what we see is only on the surface. I mean, looking at this, sex trafficking doesn't have any discrimination, that's for sure. Ages, genders, can affect anybody. It hits you right in your heart, your gut, your stomach. It's like, wow. Now it's like I feel like I have this weight of responsibility to see how I can help. Changes through greater awareness and making people realize that this does happen here and will continue to happen until we decide to make it stop. or comments? I know it's a hard movie to watch and I never get used to it. It is per capita correct for all cities. So how are victims recruited? The facts are not pretty, but um, it's pr most pimps or traffickers kind of follow um, a pattern. They groom their victims. They hang out where kids hang out. Basketball games, the mall, maybe a church, the library, sporting events. And when they find somebody who's vulnerable, they groom them over a period of time to earn their trust. More often than not, they look for them online. When a child or a student or a teen is online, the longer they are online, the more apt they are to be contacted by a trafficker. And eventually they will become friends and trusting and they will meet. And that will start the slippery slope. They will promise them whatever it is that person is feeling is missing in their life, love, money, security, a home, clothing, whatever it is. There are times when a child may come from or a teen may come from a home where hand-me-downs, they're the eighth person to wear a pair of shoes. And a trafficker can promise them a brand new pair of shoes. That can sound pretty enticing for the act of a sex act for the first time in their life to get a pair of shoes. And to their brain that hasn't fully developed in the frontal cortex, they don't understand what they're really getting into until it's too late. For a 14-year-old girl who's neglected at home or is lonely or is an outcast at school, for someone to pay attention to her online, this can be a very heady stuff. We're going to get into a couple of the vulnerable populations. But it says right here, you can see runaways are considered throwaways in our society. Um, youth with a background of abuse and neglect or foster care, these are all children and teens that are at 
uh, much more risk of being trafficked. If somebody would have run away about a week ago when it was 50, there's a good chance they were wearing flip-flops. If they were out there today, a trafficker would know they had their victim just by the outfit they had on. So social media apps. We came out, and this is on our webpage. Um, we came out with the, some of the apps that parents probably don't even know exist. And this is just a few of them. I mean, there's just thousands. We can't even keep up with them all. Everything from the secret calculator to kick. Um, and then in the little blue section over there, it'll tell you uh, even more. I, I can't read all the, the ones from here. Whisper, I know, is another one. Uh, and it, it tells why it's so bad for the kids to be on these. Some of them, it tells them to be secretive. Some of them tells them to send uh, suggestive pictures. Anytime we tell the parents and the teachers and the kids, anytime somebody asks you to send a suggestive picture or a body part, that's a big red flag. Tell your parents, tell a teacher, tell someone you trust, and don't send it. That can be a felony just like that for doing that. And these are questions that parents or teachers should be asking if they see their kids on any of these social sites. So the LBGTQ population is much more at risk of being, uh, being trafficked. Um, even though they only account, that population accounts for 3 to 5% of the population, they're at risk of being 40% more of the runaways uh, and homeless youth. And so therefore, they will uh, be approached. One out of four runaways will be approached within 48 hours by a trafficker. These are national statistics. Homeless youth and sex trafficking, again, um, every school district has something called the McKinney-Vento Act, and they will help take care of any homeless students to make sure that they have all the things that they need. And I know that because I used to work for Bridgman Schools, and I was the McKinney-Vento uh, coordinator. So if you know of a child that seems homeless, and homeless doesn't mean they don't have anywhere to go. They could be living in a car or a hotel or at a friend's house, and that's considered homeless. This one was staggering for me. I did this research last year. Um, Michigan had 13,439 foster care children go through the system. Of those children, of the 13,000, over 10,000 were confirmed victims of abuse and neglect going into foster care. Over 10,000 going into foster care had already been abused and neglected, confirmed. That only gave us 3,000 that weren't confirmed. Doesn't mean they weren't sexually abused or neglected, just means we hadn't confirmed them. These children, these 10,000, already have like a big X on their back that a predator or a trafficker is going to understand. Almost every survivor I've ever met had been sexually abused or molested prior to getting into trafficking. Special populations are much higher at risk. I'm sure that you've just been hearing about the young lady that had a baby uh, and she was in the hospital or nursing care and she didn't even know she was pregnant. I mean, she's comatose, I think. This is the same kind of thing. They take advantage of the special population. Um, oftentimes in here it will even say the parents may be the ones who 
start them into the trafficking because they see no other means for of which these children or teens or adults will uh, help earn any money except for through their bodies. This is an example of the truck parking sign that you would see on the road going towards Battle Creek in the little left corner there where it says truck parking. Uh, let me see how I'm doing on time real quick. Okay, so if you look at the, the one person on your right, um, I'm going to tell you the story. The, the young lady who is on my left, I saw her uh, the year before. This is, this is last summer. The summer before, I saw her. This is over by Celebration Cinema in front of Goodwill, and she had on a collared shirt. It was actually a khaki jacket. It was up to here down to here, and down to here. And it was a heavy, arm, like an army fatigue jacket. It was a hot August, humid day. We all know what those days feel like. I mean, my eyeballs were sweating. And she had on this jacket, and I was like, okay. First of all, I think she's already a trafficking victim because she's standing out there holding the sign on this hot day. Secondly, she's dressed inappropriately for the weather. There's a, a second thing going off in my mind. So I rolled down my window, and I said, excuse me, can you tell me what street I'm on? I knew what street I was on, but I wanted to see if she did, because often traffickers don't know where they're at because they're moved around. They don't have to be moved around, but they often are, just to keep them confused and so that they don't have a support system. And she said, I think this is called Pipestone. And it wasn't Pipestone. So I said, okay, thank you. I pulled into the parking lot, and I walked over to her, and I said, can you tell me more about what your sign is about? She said, well, my boyfriend, as soon as she said the word boyfriend, there went my antenna to the next thing. She said he he, um, had an accident, and his hand was cut off in the accident, and so I'm trying to get money for us. If you don't believe me, he's sitting right there in the car. So I kind of panicked knowing that he would beat her up if it looked like I didn't believe her. So I immediately reached in, took out some money, and turned so he could see that I was handing her the money. And then I turned so he couldn't see what I was saying and said, are you being forced to do something against your will? Her eye began twitching so fast, I I can't even make my hand twitch that fast. And she said, no. And I said, are you safe? And she said, yes. And I said, do you want me to call on your behalf? And she said, no. I gave her the money. I said, I'm going to call the hotline number for you. I left. I called the the 888 national hotline number because I knew she was being trafficked. I had no doubt in my mind. I called them. They said, it sounds like you have a trafficked victim there. Did you get the license plate number Or can you ID the car? Because she could also be a missing person. I said, no, I'll go back over there. Well, I immediately went back over, and guess what? They were gone. I had just spent a little too much time talking to her that they were suspicious. So fast forward to this summer, and there she was again. I didn't stop and talk to her this time. And then 21 days later, there he is. And so... That seems to be their corner they're working. I just thought that was interesting. So, Is there a way that you can also make this video? What is his name? What is it? Toph, can you possibly get this one to work? Okay. 
So I'm sorry, I don't know how to embed this stuff. I, I can tell you all about it, but my daughter, who is not home right now, usually embeds this for me, and I can't do this. This is uh, put out by, um, by the Michigan State Police. It's just a two-minute video, and let's see if you see the signs of human trafficking. See a lot of homes in all sorts of areas. Meet a lot of people and even pets. Out here, you have to take your job seriously and always be on the lookout to find better ways to safeguard the people you serve what kind of shopper you guys got going here? Cool and die shop. Great. Welcome to the neighborhood. Nice. Or the products that protect their homes. Or services to get their homes running just right. You work hard every day because you don't want to miss a thing. Like you just did. Do I have your attention? Workers who are in people's homes on a day-to-day -day basis are a critical part of identifying potential cases of human trafficking and combating this horrific crime. See them taking her to the van? Okay. Oops, I just missed one. See the child in the window? I think there was narrow bars on the other one. See the lock on the outside of the door? There's a log of when they come and go. See the girl in the window being forced back away. When you know what to look for, you can help bring an end to human trafficking. As service workers, you play an important role in the detection of human trafficking. You are on the front lines, in homes and in neighborhoods. Now that you know some of the signs to look for, you can help save those who are being victimized. Together, we can make a difference. If you identify someone you think may need help, please contact the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 888-373-7888. This is a toll-free hotline that's available to answer calls from anywhere in the country, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and all calls are confidential. On behalf of the Michigan State Police, thank you for your help in keeping our community safe. Did you miss some of them? 1 8, it's 1 888, we say it, 3737 888. I'll have it at the end up for you. Let's see. Oh, I need. Okay. So, another thing that they often do uh, to their victims is they brand them. It's not called tattooing, really. It's called branding because a tattoo is something that you go to a parlor and you pay to have something done that you want. This is not something they ever want, and it's not their choice, and it's, it's to dehumanize them and to remind them that they are a property and no longer a person. Uh, often we'll see a UPC symbol. It may say um, the person's name like... Daddy, something daddy, 
or it may, um, they may have something inside their, like a phone number inside their lip. Um, it may have some rambling thing on them, on their back or on their arm. It may have dollar symbols or, or money signs on them. These are very typical, these are actual survivors. Uh, one of the things our task force does, we have um, a fund called Free, Free Them Inc. And if a survivor is found so that she, she or he is not reminded of what they went through every day of their life and still need to look at that, we will have those tattoos removed or the branding removed or repositioned into something of their choice. So parents or foster care parents or caregivers or uh, whoever, some things that you want to help, you, you know, we don't really have to leave it to Beaver families intact so much anymore. Um, there's a lot of families who work shift work or aren't home or single parents or whatever. And so some of the things you can do to just make sure that your child or children are safe is, ch you know, go in the room at night and check and see if they're still there. Oftentimes... A trafficked victim is trafficked out of their own home in front of the parents or the family's eyes and ears and nose, and they don't even know it. Um, I just posted a video on our Facebook page about three or four days ago that showed a young girl doing her homework on her laptop, and her mom walked in, and she slammed it real quick. And her mom said, are you doing okay? And she goes, yep. And when her mom left, she was answering her pimp, who was telling her to come outside. And she was walking outside, and she came from a nice-looking family and home. And her mom said, where are you going? And she said, like, Jessica's house or something to do my homework. And her mom said, again? And she said, yep. And she said, okay, well, don't be out late. And then you see the girl get into a car, and the pimp is taking her to a, a hotel or a motel. In the meantime, you see this man ordering up, like a pizza, the girl. And uh, you see that he is saying... Well, do you have anyone younger? And the pimp is saying, I have a 13-year-old. And he goes, okay, how much? So they negotiate the price. This is this girl. And as he's, the pimp's driving her to the motel, he says, don't be more than an hour because you have another one after this. And she said, I know, it's not my first time. And you see her going to the motel room and the guy opening the door and grabbing her. And that's how it ends. That is not an unrealistic scenario of how things happen in in, in sex trafficking. It can happen. So if you know your children are in bed, when they go to bed, check and see later, are they still there? And they haven't snuck out. Talk to them about some of the social media ones that aren't, are dangerous. And then you pay for the cell phone plan. Don't be afraid to check and see, are there numbers on there that you don't know? You should know your children's friends' numbers and their parents' numbers. And if you are recognizing... Numbers that are coming from other states, I would question them or call them and find out what those are. Parents say, well, I don't want to interfere with their privacy. Well, you might be visiting them at a morgue then. What's your choice? Use a security system where you know that that's going to alert you if that door or window opens in the middle of the night. The foster the poster child of human trafficking for the state of Michigan is Teresa Flores, and I, I don't think I have time to go through her whole story, but she was trafficked out of her home uh, every single night for two years, and they did not have a security system, and they did not know that she was leaving every night. And she felt she was actually saving her parents and her brother. She was protecting them by doing this. Know the numbers of your kids' friends and parents, as I said, and if you see something that doesn't feel right, 
report it. And that, I don't just mean your own family, but in the neighborhood. Sometimes you see something going on next door. So I'm not going to read through this whole list, but you can do everything from report things when you see it from the hotline number to donate to us or join our, um, our task force or buy more fair trade. Uh, when you see a, a commercial that says Old Navy, and I'm sorry to pick on Old Navy, I'm just using them as an example, Old Navy jeans, $10 on sale now. Really, do you think that those don't have a supply chain that led to child labor or forced labor? Of course it did. We have all kinds of warning signs on our webpage. We have them for uh, medical uh, personnel. We have them for law enforcement. We have them for uh, educators. We have them for all different uh, types of professionals in general. So if you would like a copy of that, you can go to our website. And these are just some of the things of what we have been doing over the last year or so, everything from billboards to working with our state police. Oops, let me see if I can with our state police by getting them um, the vests that light up at night so like in a snowstorm people can see them and not being hit. We have two scholarships that we provide. One is uh, the Southwest Michigan Human Trafficking Scholarship, and that's a $500 scholarship for any student who's going to go to LMC or, or Southwest Michigan College in the area of law enforcement, hospitality, or health care. They can apply to that. It's through the Bering Community Foundation. And the Leah Roberts Planning Hope Scholarship is for anybody going globally to work with uh, human trafficking victims or survivors. And you can see me about those. Um, and we were the first one. I don't know how you feel about wine, but we did come out with a wine that uh, the proceeds um, go to support survivors, and it's actually called SOS, Support Our Survivors, and it has the definition of human trafficking right on the label and the 888 number right on the label. So it is a little different. Um, that's really quickly. I'm going very quickly. You may choose to look the other way, but you never again can say that you did not know, that you do not know. And there's some of my information, and I'll be around to talk to you. And I gave you a really condensed... Thing. Is there any questions real quick? I'm sorry. Oh, uh, 1-888-3737-888. Thank you so much. And then I know that they have this out in the back for you. It's the report card for Michigan. We're rated a B for sex trafficking. We used to be rated an F, so because of all the laws that we passed about four or five years ago, we have gone up to a B in rating, which is pretty good. Thank you, uh, thank you very much, uh, Mrs. Cathy. Uh, does anybody have any questions or comments on what you've heard this afternoon? It's kind of gut-wrenching, I know, but brother here? Yes. I was just wondering, that video that you showed earlier, is that available online? It is. It's free online on YouTube. It's called Stop the Traffic or Stop This Traffic by Kent um, County Human Trafficking Task Force. Okay. Thank you. Is that found on your Facebook page? It is. It's on our Facebook page also. Okay. Or no, our web page. On your web page. And as far as I know, um, the Southwest Michigan Human Trafficking Network, you don't get any state funding or anything. Um, you're a collection of voluntary organizations. Churches in this area are participating, are contributing to this. If any of us wants to get involved, do we just send you an email or what do we do? Um, sure, you can send me an email or contact me by phone or um, even by Facebook. 
those are all ways that you can get a hold of us. We meet the third Friday of the month uh, at noon at the Area Agency on Aging in St. Joe, Michigan. We meet for one hour, um, but not in February. Okay, thank you. Uh, Jim here. Kathy, what can we do about, like, you showed the, the people by goodwill. I see them all the time, too. And I'm like, why can't an organization just pick up these people and place them where they need to be instead of, and, and break the cycle? How, how, how is it they can keep going? Uh, because it's profitable for them. No, I mean, but why can't there be an organization to take them out? Physically take them and move them someplace else so they're safe and they can get help. Is there some kind of barrier to that? It's not illegal in the state of Michigan to pander or peddle. Okay. So if you call the police on them, unless they seem to be in immediate danger, they will not do anything because it's not illegal. All right. Are there any other questions? Uh, yes. Um, Brother Ron down at the front here. You give your name when you give us the question. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine, for bringing this, um, this presentation to us. Sure. My name is Vaya, and I just wanted to know, do you have any brochures that we can take with us? Yes. I Actually, I have quite a few in my car. I have business cards and brochures, and I'll get those right after this. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, we have a question over here. So as people have heard about this, is there anything practical that we can do? Well, the practical thing is to monitor social media of any students that you know to, or to let them know that that's really the riskiest thing, and not just social media, but gaming. The, the traffickers look through gaming also. So that's the riskiest thing, and if they get a friend request from somebody that they don't know that friend, don't accept them. So that's really where you need to tell people to be cautious. Um, and personally, and then just, you know, to be conscious of where you're spending your money. You know, do you, do you need to buy as much as you need to buy? Because that just helps support the forced labor. Uh, yes, we have a question at the very back there. Uh, many years ago, I was traveling in South Dakota on a hit a deer and it trashed the front of my car, and, and I posted on Facebook, I said, I hit a deer, destroyed my car, and my views on deer hunting have changed. I didn't say what way they had changed, but I got a lot of abuse for being a Bambi killer, straight after oh, yeah. posting that. Um, uh, my views on the capital, capital um, uh, death penalty, mm -hmm. they kind of change when you see a video like this. Mm -hmm. That's, yes. You get this, this visceral response that right. evil cannot exist in a civilized right. society. Right. Yes, we have a question back here. I guess I don't understand. If we uh, were to spot someone who is, we're suspicious of being trafficked, and we call the authorities and they can't do anything, then what's the point? Um, they, will do they will do something when it's illegal, but it's not illegal when they're pandering or peddling. Those two things are not illegal in our state of Michigan, so that's something that we need to work through with our legislators to make that somehow um, a concern that we want to address, if that's something that citizens want to address. And I have a question. <clears throat> if the young woman at the stop sign who was physically reacting to yes. you, had somehow indicated to you, yes, what would you have done? 
Well, I did call the 888 number, okay. but I would have asked her if she would have wanted to get in my car, and I would have taken her right then. But we don't recommend that to most people, but I've had a lot of training. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would feel comfortable doing that, but I wouldn't recommend to most of you to do that. I would have called the police and said, I have a victim who is indicating she wants to be rescued. But I, the, the, least, the very least minimum, I would have called the, you know, the 888 number. What about the man that was sitting in the car? What if he has a gun? Yeah, that's why I said I wouldn't recommend that any of you do that. It was a chance I would have taken. Yeah. I would have driven around right in front and just had to jump in. Uh, I would have probably taken her to a safe shelter area and then called the police. No, but, um, well, uh, actually, we are just coming out with a resource book next week. We're going up to Lansing to uh, show it to the Supreme Court. Uh, and we're going, it'll have a resource that'll show all the shelters, counseling, where they can get food, where they can get medical, where they can get law, legal aid uh, for survivors, and that'll be online that anybody will be able to access. And if you wonder why I'm wearing all blue, I'm not a Smurf. Uh, it is the international color for human trafficking, and this is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and yesterday was the day, so still doing that. Question? Right. Do you have a... A question, yes. Uh, what proportion of these folks would be uh, maybe illegal immigrants? And then, of course, it would seem like qu quite a quandary that if they were brought in by the law, then they might face de deportation. Do you see that much of that situation? No, they're protected by something called a T visa. Okay. Um, when you rescue, maybe when you uh, facilitate a rescuing process, um, if you don't know where the shelters are or where they can, where you can take them, why can't you just take them to the police off, uh, police station? You can. Um, you know, not all police stations have been trained on human trafficking, and they may not understand what to do or where to go. Uh, in Bering County, we've done a lot of training. Our task force actually has raised over thirty has raised the funds to train over 35% of all police officers in the state of Michigan, and we did a lot in our own county. Um, but just, I would go, I would feel, I would feel it was safer for the victim to be at a safe shelter. And you can look that up in any phone book. Their domestic safe shelters will take in a trafficking victim until you can get them to the right place. You're in Berrien Springs where Andrew University is based. It's an international student body. Are we more vulnerable? for human trafficking because we're international? Um, no. Where the most vulnerability or where the, the highest level of trafficking occurs in the state is when there's large functions like the car show or a festival or the senior PGA or the summertime with the beaches and more traveling. If the traffickers follow money. It's not that there's more trafficked people in town all the time, it's they, they bring more people in during the events, whatever the event, or if there's an event near us, it could be Indianapolis, could be Detroit, could be Chicago, coming through, we may have an overflow of 
traffickers. And then in the summer, you have more migrant workers. I will just, one little fact that I found interesting is that Holland, Michigan has the most churches per capita of any place in the United States. They also have the highest concentration of labor trafficked victims in Michigan. So you, you can't judge. There's no way to tell that. You would not think that. I would wonder, the one thing I would wonder about your, because of your unique population here, is that some of the families of those students um, or staff may have had members who had been trafficked in their home country. Would be more, is what I would think is true. These are great questions. How often are traffickers caught? So I think there's something like 16 cases in the state of Michigan, um, but that doesn't represent 16 victims. That represents a, a slew of victims. Um, but the pimps, the pimps are the ones being prosecuted for the most part of those 16 cases. The Johns are not being prosecuted, and therein lies the, the problem, because if we could stop the demand, you don't need a supply. And so for sex trafficking, we need to change the thinking of the male population that's demanding sex from children and mostly girls. There are boys, too, um, especially with the LGBTQ or the runaway or the homeless population, which is survival sex often. But the Johns have not been persecuted or prosecuted at a very high level. And we don't, we rarely use the word prostitution because we have found that it's usually never that person's choice to be in that field. It's usually sex trafficking. It's not a pretty woman. That show is unrealistic. It never really is true. I'm understanding that trafficking is both sex and labor? Absolutely. Does your organization also focus on forced free labor as well? Yes, absolutely. We just had uh, a speaker at our last meeting who came in and talked to us about that. He was from Grand Rapids from the Migrant Aid Association, Legal Migrant Aid. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll take a couple more questions. Uh, Sister Brenda? I can't remember where I saw it, but I saw some film about um, in Sweden how they have nearly eliminated this kind of thing. Have, are you aware of that? I am aware of it. Is there a solution, something that we could apply? Um, that's a philosophical discussion that I would be glad to have with you. All right, we'll take a last question over here. Have you ever had anyone purposely go, like, undercover? I'm sorry? Have what? you ever had anyone purposely, like, go undercover in the situations? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. My son is a police officer, so I am aware of things that I probably shouldn't know. All right. Um, uh, Kathy has a, um, a, pr a presentation over at Andrews University at 4.30, I think. They continue with their Religious Liberty Sabbath. They have um, a panel discussion. I think it's in Buller uh, Hall. And so you'll be heading across there now. So we do need to bring this to a close. Um, I want to thank you on behalf of everybody here for, for the work you do, the ministry you lead. 
and for sharing with us um, what we can do to help in this process. So thank you very much for coming today. And you have a copy of the PowerPoint if you ever need to yeah. use it. So. Yeah, so we have a copy of the PowerPoint, and um, can we put it on the church website? Okay, so uh, Todd, you're back there. We can put it on the church website. Thank you. Uh, is that okay, Pastor Joe? All right. So um, and uh, we, we appreciate you coming down here. We have some gifts for you here. Oh, um, we're the people of the book, so we have many books here. And um, we want to give these to you. Um, one of them is about the life of Jesus. And uh, one of them is about um, documents in American religious history and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and so forth. And there's another devotional book here. And we want to, um, before you leave, we'd just like to pray over you because we know that you're on the front line against a manifest evil. We want to pray for God's protection for you. Would that be okay? Oh, that would be wonderful. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this ministry that you have called our sister into. Father, I thank you that uh, you've given her a heart of courage and, and a compassionate heart, that she's willing to step where few dare go. I thank you, Father, that um, you work through her. Lord, I pray your blessing upon her in the days and the months ahead. Father, I ask that through her ministry and the uh, human trafficking network down here in southwest Michigan, I pray, Lord, that nobody will be trafficked around here. And, Lord, we long for the day when Jesus comes again and when the souls of men and women are no longer sold around our world. Protect her, Father, with your angels. Turn back uh, against him the attacks of Satan, that this ministry and this network will grow and will flourish, and that uh, anyone who is trafficked may find hope and healing and restoration. So, Father, we place our sister in your hands today. We thank you for her ministry and for empowering her. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Right, so Sister Kathy is going to just bring in some of the brochures from her car. She will place them on the table in the foyer out there. She does have a 4.30 appointment to get to, so please you know, allow her to move on quickly. She's going to slide down the road to Andrews, and um, <clears throat> she needs to be up on the, on the platform there. So um, this brings our Religious Liberty Sabbath to a close uh, for this year. We hope you've been blessed by it. Um, I would like to thank our Religious Liberty team. Everybody's been a part of this. Uh, some were at the front, some were helping out with materials and, and getting the whole day put together. Uh, so thank you, um, Pastor Ron, and everybody else who's on the team. I don't see you think Tammy's around somewhere, Tammy Reese. Uh, thank you to the entire team. And um, my prayer is that uh, Religious Liberty will take root here in our church, that we will uphold Religious Liberty, and we will also stand for the liberties of those around us. Even if we don't agree with what they believe in, we can still stand for their religious liberty as well. Let's bow our heads and we'll close today with a word of prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for the privilege of uh, living in this country with a Bill of Rights that affirms our God-given rights to worship you according to our conscience. But Father, may we never um, take those rights for granted. We humbly ask, Father, that you will preserve those rights for as long as is needed, that your gospel may go around the world and across our country here. Father, we, we pray again for those uh, victims of human trafficking. Father, even tonight, even today, some child is being trafficked and we cannot bear to think about it. But you see it happening around the world, Father, and it's hard to imagine the pain that you bear in your heart. So, Father, on behalf of these victims, I ask that, Jesus, you come soon, that you can wipe every tear away and make all things new again. Father, give us eyes that see not just what we want to see, 
may we have eyes that are open and ears that are um, ready to listen to the cries of those who are suffering around us. May we be willing to act and not turn a blind eye. Uh, Dismiss us now with your blessing, dear Heavenly Father. Keep us safe on the roads as we go home. Lord, we have a week of prayer beginning at five o'clock. Bless those who are staying for that. May your Holy Spirit descend in a beautiful way upon this congregation as we start this new week together. In the name of Jesus, we humbly ask. Amen. So the week of prayer will begin at five o'clock here. The PMC members are coming here. We invite you to stay for that. They want to stay and visit with each other until then. And um, this presentation will go up on our website by the end of tonight. So thank you so much, everybody. It's kind of sobering, isn't it?